0: Thank you so much for joining us on our journey of voices. So before we get too much into it, I'll let Kenar kick it off. Thank so you, Ben.
1: So bad we're happy to be here, happy to meet you. But uh, for people who don't you know, who don't know you so well, uh, take us back to the stomping grounds, where you're from, and what it was like growing up there. Sure, um, I was born in London, England, um, and
2: I uh, of Caribbean ancestry. So both my parents are from Grenada in the Caribbean. Um, I left. England when I was about 15, Um, moved to Grenada, I lived there for about 6 or 7 years, Um, uh, then moved to Toronto and went to school in Toronto, went to York University, studied uh, political science and communications and I did a BFA also in film and video production. So I've been back home here in Halifax for
1: about uh, 16 years. Okay, this is, this is home now. This is home now. All right, all right, so that's a long journey, that's a long journey. So take us back to um, young Sobaz in England. Um, what was your friend group like? Did you have many role models? What was the home life like? What, is, what was going through your mind? England, um, well,
2: I, I like to think of my time in England as a time of um, carefree um, childhood, no responsibilities, being able to just sort of really roam free mm-hmm. um, and there's pluses and minuses to that um, because I think um, at some point you kind of have to find a focus you have to sort of find yourself and um, I think in western countries like London like Toronto like Halifax um, there's a lot of distractions um you know, a lot of things are competing for your attention. Whether it be, you know, um, I just think of you know the media and the images that it puts out there for 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 young people, telling us who they think we should be, or aspire to, you know, and just so many other corporate kind of um, agendas, you know. Um, so there's a lot competing for our attention, attention and I felt that very much in England and it wasn't until I left at 15 that I really did begin to pay attention to the fact that I had an internal world and that there was a a voice that I wasn't really listening to Um, and I didn't sort of tune into that voice until all of those other distractions um, that sort of preoccupied my time and attention in London were removed. so the Caribbean became a very solitary, quiet time of reflection and when I came to hear my own voice and
1: understand it. Okay. Did you have any hobbies uh, growing up? Any passions that you found, especially when you were in Grenada? Mm-hmm. during that time of self-discovery? Mm-hmm. i No, I've always loved stories. I've always loved um,
2: people telling stories. Um, I never forget um, when I left England in 83. My brother uh, lived in Toronto at the time. Came to visit, and at that time, the Terminator movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger was, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, was coming out, and um, so I hadn't seen it. And you know, I so in my imagination, you know, when my brother was telling me the film, it was just amazing to me. You know, this person who just fell to the ground, and like all these muscles, and was sort of fighting for the future. And, Cast and all of these really, really interesting things at the time of the Terminator came out. Um, so my imagination ran wild, and then I went to see the film. And it was a real disappointment because it didn't even me- it didn't measure up to my brother's storytelling. So that was a very I mean, like I said, I was about fifteen or sixteen, and um, I love I love story. Um, I like to run. Um, as I'm getting older now, it's it's, it's more challenging to get out there and run. But I'm going to get back into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love running, and now I've discovered drumming. So both exercises are therapeutic to me. Um, they are they allow me they're, they're cathartic. They allow me to kind of release um, some
1: you know, pent up energy or frustration. Okay, those are very very important passions to me. Okay. Thank you for that. And two questions to at you for that. The first, first one is, um, how did you discover um, that drumming became that outlet to you, uh, for you, sorry? And um, is there a special, a certain type of drumming that speaks to you the most? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I drummed,
2: the first time I heard um, a, a master drummer in town here, his name is Dr. Henry Bishop, um, I was at a church and um, churches are great places. I'm not going to down a church, but I mean, uh, uh, the type of drumming that I had was a djembe drum, This is an African drum. Mm. And you know, the West hasn't had a great relationship with with Africa when it comes to um, forms of cultural expression. You know, the West kind of has denigrated a lot of, 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 of um, that sort of, aboriginal and indigenous type of expression to the continent so so being in a church and you know listening to a djembe drum and that djembe drum transformed that church so at first people were kind of a bit sort of hmm, you know a bit uptight um, but the more that group played that drum and then the emoji drums was mm-hmm. the name of, the, of Dr. Bishop's um, drum ensemble the more they played that drum is the more you, I felt, that space transform into the, and fall into line and in in harmony with the drum, the beat of Uh that drum, which for all Aboriginal people is sort of the heartbeat, you know, I I think First Nations people call it the heartbeat of Mother Earth, but for African peoples it's a heartbeat also, you know. And um, I was just swept away with that um, transformative moment. And I, after it, after I just said to Henry, I, I said, I need to be yeah, a, I, I, I want to learn what you do. And that was about two years ago. Okay. And I've, I've been drumming ever since. It's a
1: djembe drumming, which is a West African uh, drum. Now, leading up to where we are today, iMove, um, can you tell us some of the stepping stones you took to creating iMove and how it's come to where it is today? Sure. Um, in 2007, I just finished a film with the National Film Board
2: called Race is a Fall of the Word. And in that film, it was very much a um, using storytelling as a way to reauthor a person's identity. I sort of discovered that through this National Film Board film. And even before that, uh, my graduating film from York back in 2001 was called Weekend Warrior. and. Um, So that was kind of characteristic of my filmmaking at York, from 97 to about 2001. I was very much turning the camera inward um, and exploring inner life, my inner life. So very much a focus on my family and um, my newborn son at the time and my daughter. By 2007, I had completed the film for the National Film Board and done some work with the CBC. And uh, I was presented with an opportunity to create um, a video for the Justice Department, the provincial Justice Department, and they asked me to create a video for um, African Nova Scotian males who were being inordinately incarcerated, and still are. Um, this committee from the Justice Department felt that um, the issue wasn't so much low self-esteem, but low cultural esteem. This sense of not knowing what contributions, um, you know, people of African descent had made to the Atlantic provinces. So they asked me to make a video I said, well, I've been spending the past 10 years at film school and had been on this very uh, use of narrative to unpack one's internal life, so I wanted to suggest to that committee at the Justice Department that, you know, maybe if you want to get into the hearts and minds of of, um, people of African descent, particularly males, could I suggest a different approach? And that's really what, and I said, yeah, sure. So the the next two years, from 2007 to 2009, we spent designing IMU. and then we rolled out the first life story program of Move at the middle Exposure youth facility in 2009 and um, the rest of the is history
1: Okay, I was gonna come with that one, I was gonna say how was that a big night, how was that a big night first and out and even in those two years where you were grinding creating Move. you know, what were the stepping stones, you know, what did you, how did you start out, how did you hold yourself accountable mm-hmm. you know, to this, to this business um, Well, I think The vision of iMove
2: has, its seed is in sort of rooted in my own experience, in terms of using narrative as a tool to reauthor and reshape a person's identity. And I know it works because that's what it did for me. Uh, My storytelling through film and video production, uh, being able to turn the camera in on myself, helped me to to heal. Um, Growing up in the Caribbean and before that in England, um, as a person with dark skin um, and confronted by racism, anti-black racism, you know I sort of internalized that to the extent where I wanted to bleach my skin so um, there were a number of years where you know the self-loathing around my complexion was, was, was heavy uh, but film helped me to work through that narrative helped me to work through that so in terms of being accountable to the process of reauthoring, it started with me. So, and it's rooted in personal experience. So I don't feel like I'm you know, selling shark oil or any sort of something that's not, that doesn't work. Um, it's worked for me, I've um, been at it since 2009. Um, it's now 2018. And I think that um, we have a track record of helping people, particularly incarcerated people, um, to see themselves and be seen differently through narrative. Um, there are a number of platforms, theatre, music production, plays, uh, video production, and the approach has always been to use narrative as a way to rebuild healthy community or healthy sense of self or to re-author one's identity and it's been it's played out successfully over and over again. So, um, I feel that my loyalty to what we call now the Kansugi monologues is,
0: um, you know, is tried and tested, and um, it works. That loyalty sounds like it's very rooted in authenticity, mm-hmm. and I know we spoke a lot about transparency as well, whether it's in front of or behind the camera. Um, especially being able to interact and engage people in their incarcerated communities, um, but across the board and all the different populations, and <clears throat> for you to transition from London and then go to Grenada and have to transition from there to Toronto and then again to Nova Scotia, what was that like? Because your personal identity shifts as your environmental conditions do, as do you know the cultural identity and, and all of the disparity between that, mm-hmm. not just black and white but black and black, and how regionally or um, you know coming into a community as an outsider, you look like them, mm-hmm. but you might not be the same as them. So, what does that feel like in terms of the authenticity?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I mean, like I didn't learn all of what you just
2: outlined. Like in a lot of ways, ignorance is bliss. Like it didn't occur to me that I would not be accepted in the community. Yeah, um, I, I sort of. Accept and celebrate others. So, to me, it was kind of common sense within my context that the same sort of values and principles of acceptance and diversity that I hold, that others would too. So, when I, you know, moving to different communities, you're right, it, it wasn't until people said or showed me that I wasn't necessarily welcome, that it became um, but I became aware of that. I come up against that. I do. Um, but it's not something that sort of stops me in my tracks. It's not something that that I lose sleep over. Um, I want to work with with those who are interested in working with me. When they don't, well, then you know, time is always a great revealer of truths. And um, I think that. Uh, time reveals that and part ways if you can't work together or if you can't if you don't feel like you belong together but uh, time reveals that as opposed to sort of um, me as an individual coming
0: into a situation with that agenda very much so and that's learned again We've got- coming through and experiencing those things um, so in the sense of Focusing on time and maybe patience or persistence, mm-hmm. you know, I move. It's been a, it's been a process, you know, uh, and so getting to the point where you are now. In between, there are a lot of things. So, whereas there, whether it was one or maybe a few defining moments where you really had to strap down, uh, despite all the noise, and just focus on being patient. Patient, right? if you, if you can speak to that.
2: Um, and I was part of the case management team where, and uh, I had met this young man uh, while well, he was incarcerated. So he came out into the community and continued you know, to work with him. And he did a very, you know, did a very, he did a very bad thing. And that was the only time really where I kind of thought that I should step away from, from this work. That I, I felt like I had failed him because we couldn't um, couldn't avoid, you know, or help him avoid making that choice to do what he did. Um, but I had wise people around me um, who um, helped me to understand the fact that, you know, the limitations of the work. There are limitations. Um, that I have to be realistic with what it is that I'm trying to achieve, um, and that there's a lot that is not in my
1: control. Hearing, these, hearing you uh, explain that experience and how what was going through your mind and what decisions you chose to make and which ones you didn't, mm-hmm. right? The seeds were planted prior in life to your growth before that point, right? But the way we think, you know, how we think about these situations when we're approached with them, guides our decisions for the next situation, right? And something closely aligned with how you operate are your values. Mm -hmm. And just hearing you talk, being next to you, you're a man very grounded in your truth. And to get there is a transformational process, right? So what values uh, would you say you have that... Helped you to become a better
2: man today. I mean, my principles are are very basic principles that I think are about relationships and the, uh, how important they are. Healthy relationships, you know, there are a lot of relationships that we're in that are not healthy. Health is a big, very important uh, goal, aspiration, and I think you know when I think of health, I think of Wholeness, sort of a complete um, completeness, and I think about it in terms of narrative as well. We often have these narratives that are—it's not necessarily that people are lying; it's sort that of they incomplete. You know, um, a person is sharing a story from their point of view. Um, I always say, well, we always know that truth, right? You know, there are three sides to every story: yours, mine, and then the truth. And it's not to say that each of those narratives aren't truth, but taken independently or in isolation, they're incomplete. So I always think that it's important to and health, health is just whole, that's what health means, it's wholeness. And um, that's an important principle for me in all my endeavors, uh, making sure that uh, um, my encounters with people, uh, my encounters with myself, um, the things I strive for are not just rooted in sort of a single thread, but are, have a multiplicity and have a completeness to them. And as long as I'm able to kind of pursue that, I think life is healthy. And in that
0: wholeness, mm-hmm. kind of two part to that, speaking on the the, the health and the relationship aspect, because yeah. everyone brings their different energy, just as they bring a perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, as a part of your interactions with, with various people, do you have a way that you ground yourself, whether it's before, after, or during? You know, the whole kind of, is a, is a big
2: kind of focus these days on mindfulness and meditation and these kinds of things, but I think they, you know, those things are like ancient mm-hmm. wisdoms, right? And um, they're useful in terms of helping to um, sort of, Guess uh, work through or deliver or provide uh, what is needed from from me, whatever situation or place I find myself in.
0: So like, in that that space of awareness, self awareness, mm-hmm. um, you spoke about that the whole the whole way through your story is finding and, and always refining that. Who is so bad, Benjamin? Like, who I am currently right
2: now, I'm a storyteller. Um, that has become my calling. So all of my time and energy for the past, you know, since my adulthood has been really spent trying to figure out how to craft and share experiences. it's why I continue to, to work with iMove using theatre, and radio, and video, these tools of storytelling. Because I think there are deeper truths and experiences that we need to hear and learn from. At this point in time, Sobaz is using his gifts of storytelling to share with others uh, on the path towards, um, I like to think of it as self-actualization, people becoming who it is that they aspire to become. And I'm trying to do that myself. And, and, uh, wow, sort of walking without others who to the same.
1: That is the power of your why, why you wake up in the morning, why you can hold yourself accountable because you embody the process. Mm-hmm. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what you're hearing. Amazing. I think you already kind of described what success looks like for you in terms of a happy, you know, healthy life, mm-hmm. right? Um, so my next question for you is what is your next step I mean, where are we with iMove now and what's coming up, what can we expect for the new year? Um, So next steps for
2: iMove. Um, We are getting ready to uh, launch a program called Inspire Um, and it is really a program where we are using the almost 10 years worth of experience that we've accumulated um, around narrative. uh, working with incarcerated people to again reauthor, rebuild build uh, a sense of self and community and relationships. So a renewed sense of healthy relationships within my home, uh, within the community, with myself, um, that's, that's what's on the agenda for Sylvester.
0: So I'm really embracing the wholeness um, and building on that, is there a message that you give to somebody listening to this now? What message would you give them? I do believe in that saying, I think Gandhi said it about being the change that
2: you want to see in the world. I think that's an important, I think that's, you know, there's something to be said about sort of old tried and true, um, things, but that seems to be a guiding principle for me these days, these days is that, you know, that, um, who I am on the inside is who I am on the outside and not really having any sort of separation. But I think that is a good life if you can achieve that, you know, is being what it is that you want to see in the world.
1: I add two more for you. Mm-hmm. Squeeze them out. Yep. The last two, of you were t- expressing that love for your family mm-hmm. and uh, what went through my mind was to you, what does it mean to be a man, what does it mean to be a father? And then also if you could end us off with some suggestions that you might have had for yourself from when you were younger. Well I think you have to be there.
2: I think you have to be present, um, you know, I think you have to um, be present for the good times and the not so good times. And you have to, uh, so consistently being there is, you know, there's always sacrifices that that we have to make in terms of, um, maybe something we're aspiring to achieve. And, um, but I think, you know, I, I feel fortunate that the line of work that I've been in has allowed me to be available to my children. Um, you know, in the earlier years, not so much now, but in the earlier years, I did a lot of work from home. So, you know, I could see them when they went to school, see them when they come home for lunch, see them when they come from school, take them to the park, um, be a part of their lives in a, in a in a concrete way. And I guess this falls into that whole mindfulness piece, is that when you are uh, positioned in a place where you know, the task at hand, whatever that task at hand is, and try to commit to that, so that when you are doing important things, like spending time with your family, you can be a hundred percent present, and not sort of off someplace else in your mind, in your spirit. Actually, the truth is within each of us, within within, within me, and, and trusting that, um, And trusting that that is enough to help me to take the next step towards the journey and the path that I'm on. So it's really trusting that that path, trusting the fact that that what you have as an internal life is adequate and enough. And not being sort of afraid of the unknown and the uncertainty and the discomfort. That, that working through that will help you to get to the place where it is that you So that's what want to know.
0: Powerful one forever. So thank you so much for joining us. your last part, we're gonna your official sign out. I'm bad, Benjamin,
2: and this is my voice. <laughs>